turn to the book of First Peter with me tonight. <clears throat> Peter is a First Peter is a book that was written by the apostle, by the disciple um, Peter, <clears throat> who was a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, and as you're turning there, I'm going to read the first verse um, so we can just have some background. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours to the fullest measure. So Peter is writing to a group of churches in the Asia Minor area to encourage them in a time of persecution in the church. Throughout the New Testament, we study through the book of Acts, through some of Paul's letters, through even the book of Revelation, we see where persecution is relevant. Persecution is, is going on. Persecution still goes on in our churches today, um, overseas. And uh, so persecution is here. So P Peter is trying to proclaim a message to these churches to remain faithful to God because they have a purpose. In Matthew 28, Jesus commissioned out the disciples as well as Christians, us, uh, in today's time and culture, to go and make disciples of all nations. So there's a commissioning, there's a calling, there's a purpose. And so Peter is trying to make sure that these people here, these churches, these Christians, and even us today, uh, remain mindful of what that purpose is. And so tonight I want to be mindful of two points that first, because we are Christians, we must proclaim the gospel message to the nations. And secondly, because we are Christians, we must live that gospel message out in our lives so that we can be witnesses among the nations. So tonight, if you will look with me in chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, we're going to just work through four verses tonight. <clears throat> it says... But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as aliens and strangers, to abstain from the fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of the visitation. You may be seated. <clears throat> so as we see here, at the very beginning of verse 9, the word but. There's a contrast here. The word but is a contrasting word um, to show a difference from what Peter was just now speaking of. And earlier in chapter 2, he was speaking of those who had rejected Christ, those who dis had disbelief of Christ, that did not believe in the gospel. He's saying he was speaking of those people. But now... Peter is shifting gears and he is focusing on the Christians, focusing on the ones who have believed and trusted in the Lord and Savior. And he gives them some very familiar titles. If you are familiar with the Old Testament, you continue in verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for God's own possession. We see the word chosen race, which comes out of Isaiah chapter 43. At the end of verse 20 and into 21, it says, To give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I have formed for myself will declare my praise. Israel was chosen by God for a specific purpose. We see in the book of Exodus that they were in slavery, they were in bondage, and God redeemed them through Moses, his servant, to bring them out of Egypt to, into a promised land. But they were not there going to the promised land just to uh, take of the milk and the honey and just to live wonderful lives and be jolly and merry, but they were to proclaim God, to be a witness, to be a light, to, uh, to the nations so that God may be glorified throughout all of the world. That's what Israel was called to do. They were chosen by God to do that. But as we study Old Testament history, we know that Israel failed. They became very, um, very much like the world. Instead of being a light, being different than the world, they became just like the world with sin, by believing in other gods and things of that nature. So... Israel did not do a very good job of that, but we cannot blame them necessarily just because they are humans, and we are humans, and we fail every day. I fail every day. I am very thankful for God's grace and mercy and his his everlasting forgiveness because Jesus' blood is uh, substantial forever. And so I thank God for that. So now we, as Christians, Peter is telling us, We are a chosen race. We have been called by God in order to serve a purpose, which is to fulfill the Great Commission, which is to preach the gospel to all nations. So we have been chosen by God in order to to do that. The second title is a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, the priests were to be mediators between God and man. They were to serve as spokesmen for God and to also... um, also lead people to God. That's what the priests were to do. We see this in the um, the actions of Moses and the actions of Aaron and, and the rest of the priests throughout the Old Testament. And we see that um, we see that, that that Israel was also called in Exodus 19 to be a kingdom of priests. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. But in 19, 5 and 6, <clears throat> it says, Now then... If you will indeed obey my voice, the Lord's voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples of the earth, for the earth is mine. And you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So God was speaking to Moses, and he said that if, they would, if Israel would obey God, they would be a kingdom of priests. So not only would they have a high priest such as Aaron and Moses to lead them, but they as a nation would become a, a kingdom of priests where they would be mediators for God, from God to the rest of the world by proclaiming God and his excellencies among the world. And today, as Christians, we, Peter has given us that same, um, same calling to do that. A scholar commented about Israel's um, actions with this calling, though. He said, Israel was not to be a people unto themselves, enjoying a special relationship with God and paying no attention to the rest of the world, but rather they were to represent him to the, rep- to the rest of the world and attempt to bring the rest of the world to him. So 
by thinking about that, by thinking about how Israel sometimes turned inward, they took and, and kept the message to themselves, how are we doing as Christians? Are we proclaiming the message of God? Are we being that kingdom of priests where we're leading people to God? Are we bringing people to God? Are we bringing God's message to people? Are we just keeping the blessings of God to ourselves? Are we keeping this holy gospel message that has the power to save all if all trust and believe in him? Are we keeping it to ourselves or are we taking the most important thing to us that we claim to be the most important thing and sharing it with all those who need it? I ask myself that question every day. Lord, how can I be a better witness for you? And I think that would be a wise thing for each and every one of us to do. And to not only do that, the pastor at Seneca this morning, our interim, talked about not only um, praying, but also being obedient and doing those things. So if we pray and ask God for us to be blessings to others, to be witnesses to others, when the opportunity comes, we have to take the opportunity and we can't just let it pass us by. We can't let it pass us by. So, a kingdom of priests. But for us to be a kingdom of priests, we also must do another, be another thing, which is called a holy nation. A holy nation. Israel was called to be a holy nation. We see in the book of Leviticus, um, which not a whole lot of people study the book of Leviticus a whole lot. Um, some people think it's boring, but I had the opportunity this past semester to study just one class on the book of Leviticus just for just constantly for about three months and it was wonderful um, and I found out that there's a lot of truths in Leviticus there's a lot of relevant truths in Leviticus if we just take the time to read it but we also see that the book of Leviticus was a, a book of laws to make sure that Israel would stay holy to make sure Israel would remain different Physically, spiritually, the way they treated other people from the rest of the world. That they were to only worship God. They were to only have one wife. They were not to intermarry. They were not to marry men, uh, men marrying men and women marrying women. They were to be holy. They were to be different. Those, those laws, as weird sometimes as they sound to us, were purposeful in the time of, of Israel. And so God gave them those laws, and God said something specific, and he repeated this throughout the book of Leviticus several times. He said, be holy, for I am holy. Be holy, for I am holy. Be perfect. Be consecrated. Take your sinful lives and begin to shift them in a, in a way that reflects me. We as Christians are representatives of God, correct, of, of Jesus Christ. We say as Christians that we believe in Jesus and he's our Lord and Savior. And that means we represent him in our lives. And so we have, to re we have to obey that same call. It's in the New Testament. Even Peter says it in, uh, his, in his epistle in chapter 1. He said, be holy for I am holy. We are to remain holy. We are to consecrate our lives. We are not to be like Israel. Israel, if, as you study... They became, they became very complacent and they became very compromising to the world. They, they lived like, like the rest of the nations around them, the Amorites and the Hittites. They would go and they would um, worship um, idols. Even we see in uh, Exodus 32 where Aaron made a golden calf. 
And uh, they began to do all these things that did not reflect God. We, we see that they promised God in Exodus 19 that we will obey you. They said, we will obey you, God. How many of us have said, God, I won't do that again and I'll obey you? Just part of you. Okay. Well, that's okay. <laughs> we say we will obey God, but we don't always do it. We don't always follow up. Just like Israel. Just like Israel. But we have to dedicate our lives to, to becoming more like God. When we, as we become holy, that means to become more like God. God is perfect. God is holy. God is just. God is good. We say it, but we don't act like it. We don't, we don't act like we believe that because we're not living holy, good, perfect lives as well. Um, and so then the next part is a people for God's own possession. A people for God's own possession. How good it is to know that God calls us his own possession. Peter calls us God's children. Paul says that we have been adopted into the family of God by Jesus Christ, by the forgiveness of sin, so that we can be a part of God's family. We are a part, we are a people for God's own possession. That means we no longer, we no longer have control of our lives. We no longer should seek our purposes, our desires, because let's face it, our desires are usually sinful. They're usually to puff us up, to build us up, to put us on pedestals rather than to glorify God. So as a people for God's own possession, we must live lives that reflect and honor and glorify God. Luke 9.23 says, Jesus said, If anyone desires to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So as a, as a possession of God, we've got to deny ourselves of sins, deny ourselves of wants, of desires, of our own glory, because we don't deserve the glory. We didn't create us. We didn't save us. We can't sustain us. It's only by God's hand. It's only by God's love and God's mercy. And he's the only one that deserves the glory. So we've got to remember that as a possession of God, we've got to live like a possession of God. So we have to deny ourselves. So I said all of that. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. But there's a purpose. The words right after that, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. God has redeemed us. God has redeemed us. Just as Israel was in Egypt and they were in slavery and they were in bondage, God redeemed them out of that. We have been redeemed out of so much greater out of our sins. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. We all, as human beings, as we, as we read the scriptures, realize that we deserve hell. Whether we like to admit it or not, we all deserve hell. And that's a, that's a thing that we're like, well, why? Well, it's because we're sinners. Because we don't meet the standards of God. We don't live up to the standards of God. But we don't, we don't have to be expected to because we have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus shed his blood on the cross so that we may have life and have it more abundantly in him. So we are to now proclaim that message to the world because did Jesus just die for us 
here in this church building right here? No. Who did he die for? Everyone. Everyone. I like to be interactive. Sometimes I change it up, so just bear with me. He died for all. He died for all. God, it says in the second letter of Peter, that he does, God does not desire any, that anyone should perish, but that all should, become, all should come to the repentance of sin. So if that's God's heart, if God's heart is to see this world, all, all of the world, no matter what race or skin color, no matter what ethnicity, that all of the world proclaim his name, then that should be our hearts as well. That should be in our hearts so that we would proclaim this message so that those around us would believe it. That was part of my first point, that we as Christians are to proclaim the gospel message to the nations. So are we doing that today? Are we proclaiming that we have been brought out of darkness into marvelous light? Continuing in verse 10, For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. We once were rejected. We once, we once had no hope, had no purpose. We once were, were without mercy, it says, continuing in verse 10. But we have received mercy because we have trusted in the Lord. We have trusted in His goodness and in His gospel. And so we must take that and proclaim it to the world. Ephesians 2.12, Paul talks about what it... What it what it used to be to be without a hope, to be without a God. Do you remember the time in your life when you were without God, when you were without a hope, without a purpose? I, I was sharing with someone that doesn't believe a couple of months ago, and I just asked them, I said, what do you live for? What do you live for? Because for me, as sad as this may sound, it happens if... If tomorrow I woke up and my family was gone, my house was gone, my possessions were gone, I had nothing, what would my purpose be? It would still be to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So as a, as a non-believer, what is their purpose? If they're not serving the Lord, what's their purpose? And I asked her that, and she said, well, to at the end of my life, to know that I was a good person, to know that... I did my best to be good and to um, make those around me proud. But that's not a whole lot to live for, in my opinion, because the opinions of others, they'll fade away. Our reputations will fade away. But we have to remember that our lives are to, our, our purpose is to glorify God, to live for God, to spread his message. And that should be our heart for the rest of this world, for the world that's without a hope, for the world that is dying and going to hell every single day for those people that don't believe that should break our hearts that should sadden us so that we can share the gospel with them so that they are not without hope but that they will be with hope that when they do die they'll be with Jesus we look forward to that day we sing about that day in churches that we cannot wait to be with Christ so why is it that we are not opening that up to the rest of the world. And I, I preach this to myself every day. Why am I not sharing this gospel message? If I would stake my life for it, if I believe that God desires all men to be saved, why am I not proclaiming this 
to the rest of the world? That's what I want us to ask ourselves. Are we, gonna, are we going to step up and proclaim this gospel message that we say we, we believe in with our whole hearts to the rest of the world? Continuing on in verse 11, that was point number one, proclaim the gospel with our lips, verbally. But secondly, because we are Christians, we must live out the gospel message in our lives in order to be a witness for the nations, a witness to the nations. Verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you, I urge you. Peter's saying, I beg you, I plead of you, I exhort you. Listen to me, this is important. Listen to me. As aliens and strangers, let me stop right there. As aliens and strangers, Peter, in chapter 1, verse 1, he called these Christians aliens. What does that mean? Does that mean we are green as Christians and we have Martian eyes everywhere? No. In verse 17 of chapter 1, it says, If you address as the Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. So we are aliens and strangers to this world because, as I just said, we sing about it. Our home is not here on earth. Our home is in heaven with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because as Christians we have trusted and believed in that. And so we must remember that our time is temporary. Our time is short. Life is short. Life is short. We've got to make it count for the glory of the Lord. So he says, I'm begging you, while you're, here on, while you're shortly here on earth, abstain, to turn away from, to repent from the fleshly lust, from the, from the sins of the world, which wage war against your soul. We all struggle with sin. We, each and every one of us struggle with different sins. But they all wage war on our soul. We all know we've read about or we've, some of us may have seen what war looks like. It's terrible. It's nasty. It's not something that we enjoy um, thinking about. It divides people. It divides countries. There's killings. It, it, it's a lot, a lot more in depth, a lot more um, than what I have just described. But war, there's a war going on and it's a spiritual war. A spiritual war inside of us to either obey God, obey the Spirit, or to fall into the traps and the temptations of the devil. Each and every one of us make choices every day whether we're going to, whether we're going to please God or please the devil with our, with our sins, with our lives. Peter's saying, I urge you, while you're on this earth, stay away from it. Stay away from the sins. Get away. Run. Because there's a war. So how do we defend? How do we defend against the sin? We read our Bibles. We pray to God. We stay in a constant connected fellowship with our believers. With those believers around us. With those we go to church and we call them. We, we encourage them. We keep them accountable. So that we don't continue to fall into the sins of the world. Verse 12. Peter continues and he's, he's begging these Christians. 
Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, among the pagans, among the unbelievers. So we as Christians, we must keep our behavior excellent. We must be holy for God is holy. He has called us to that. But why? It says, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, your good deeds, as they observe them, as they watch, they may one day glorify God in the day of visitation. So our actions, we hear the words actions speak louder than words, our actions must ref- also reflect God's glory. It must also reflect God's holiness. It must also reflect God's perfectness. Because there's a watching world out there just waiting for us to stumble there's a watching world that, as we say, as we represent the name Christian, they're waiting for us to fall. They're, they're watching what we do. And so we have to make sure that we are, be, we are very careful to represent the name of the Lord perfectly. We will sin and we will stumble, but we have to make it our prayer and our desire every day to do that, to represent the God in a, represent God in a holy manner, so that those around us, possibly from our actions, from our lives, will glorify the Lord. That is, that's my heart. I hope that's your heart. That God may be glorified. Yes, I, I would love, love, love to see everyone in the world believe and be saved and go to heaven. That is, that is my great desire. But my greatest desire is that through that, God is always glorified. Not me, not you, not evangelists, not pa- other pastors, but that God always gets the glory for it. Because he, He's the only one that deserves the glory. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So as I close tonight, as I close tonight, I'm asking you and I'm asking myself, are our works, are they good? Are they holy? Are the things that come out of our mouth holy? So that the watching world, as they're watching us in, 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 as Christians, are they seeing a holy God lived out of us? Or are they seeing the same thing that they're in? Are they seeing drunkenness and sexual immoralities? And other things of that nature, lying and slander and malice and anger, are they seeing the fleshly, the flesh, the sins coming out of us, or are they seeing a holy God, us being led by the Spirit? And are we proclaiming the message of God to those people? Are we proclaiming the salvation message to those people? That's what I want to challenge you tonight with. If, those are, if there's anyone in here that may not know the Lord, I encourage you tonight to make that decision. To believe that Jesus, Jesus loves you. That He died for you. And that He did not just stay dead, but He has been risen. And He is on His, king, on his throne reigning forever and ever and ever. 
our sins have been forgiven. Though we, we may be rejected by the world as God's possession as Christians, we are accepted by Him. And for the Christian out there, are you proclaiming that message of God? Are you proclaiming what He has called us to proclaim? Are we constantly in our, in our minds looking to make disciples of all nations with our speech and with our lives? I ask us to bow our heads and pray together now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, God, I just thank you for this, this opportunity to bring your word, to bring your message, God. Lord, it is difficult for us to sometimes proclaim your message. There's things that we, that, that we just can't do, Lord, that we feel like that we can't do, Lord. But we know by your spirit, by your power, you will lead us and guide us if we're obedient. So I ask that you allow us to be obedient, to proclaim your message to those who need to hear it, Lord. They have not yet trusted in you. God, and I ask that you allow us to also repent of our sins and to live holy lives dedicated to you, Lord. God, if there's anyone here tonight that, do not, that does not know you, Lord, I ask that they repent of their sins and that they, they come up to this altar, Lord, and they, they give their lives to you, Lord. God, if there's someone in here, a young person or maybe an older person, Lord, that's been fighting their, their way against ministry, that would God be obedient to the calling of being a pastor or a missionary or a youth pastor, Lord, if there's someone in here, God, I ask that you allow them to come up here and surrender their life to your service. God, I ask that no matter what, that you always get the honor and the glory and the praise because you deserve it. It's in your name I pray. Amen.